All right. How many of you guys are glad to be here on Easter weekend? I am too. I am too. All right. We're going to pray and then we're going to get into tonight's message. God, we thank you so much for everything. (laughs) It's hard to even put into words how to say thanks. It's hard to put into words our gratitude. And so we just are just enjoying your presence. And so today we just, we just want to proclaim hope. We want to proclaim hope and, and the resurrection and shout it as loud as we can from the rooftops. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's Easter weekend. What am I going to preach about? <laughs> I'll give you a spoiler alert. Jesus is alive, okay? We could, yeah, let's just celebrate that. Now we can all go home, and that's it. That's it. No, we know how the story is going to end. So we're going to walk through the Easter story today, but I'm going to ask you to do something really difficult. I'm going to ask you, how many of you guys have ever watched a movie before, and you didn't know how it was going to end, and then when you found out the ending, it, it, just, it was hard to watch it again, because you already knew where all the surprises were, right? So... This, what we're going to do today is, is to, I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult. And I'm going to ask you to imagine that you don't know the end of the story. I'm going to ask you to imagine you don't know how this ends. Because our, our Easter weekend story starts to unfold with 13 men who are in a borrowed room above a stranger's house. And they're coming together after three years of amazing time. I mean, they saw miracles happen. Again, let's put ourselves in the story. Miracles happened. They were, they were like walking around like with a celebrity because all of this crazy stuff was happening. They were changing the world. I mean, all these things were happening. Miraculous things were happening. They had ca- captured the attention of the known world. And they sit down in this setting to have a meal together. And their leader is a man who claims to be God. Now, you really have to be all in <laughs> at that point. But their leader is going around claiming to be God. And they're sitting down at a meal together to discuss what's happened, to discuss some predictions of the future, and to really just kind of uh, to, to be together. It's, it's called the Last Supper, but you're one of the disciples, and you don't know it's the last one. You're just sitting there. And so at, as you're sitting there with, with, with this all this happening, your leader begins to tell, uh, tell you again, like he's told you before, I'm going to die. I'm going to get killed. How many of you guys know that's a real encouraging message to hear over dinner, right? And he continues to talk about how he's going to die. He's like seems to be fixated with it. And he does something, this, this meal that they're sharing is really a holiday meal. I don't have time to go into what all of the Passover meant and all that sort of thing. But he sits down and, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, at the table and the apostles with him and said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So your leader begins to talk about how he's going to suffer. And he says, for I tell you, I will not eat the fruit. I will not eat until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup. When he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup that they had, he took the cup that they had eaten, saying, uh, This cup 
is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Now, how many of you guys know when he starts talking about blood and this is my blood and this is my body, eat this? It's a little bit strange, isn't it? I mean, just be honest. What was he doing, though? He was prophesying of what was going to happen and giving them a picture of something to remember how it happened. And so what I want us to do is I want us, even right here in the middle of this message, to receive communion together. But I want you to do it maybe in a way that you've never done it before. And I want you to pretend for just a moment that you're there at the Last Supper and that you're getting ready to enter into this weekend. And, and I want us to experience the weight of what Jesus was about to do, that he was about to give his life, that he was about to go and suffer and to die on the cross. And so I want to have the ushers come at this time, and they're going to begin to pass out the elements of the juice, which represents the blood that was spilled on the cross, and the cracker, which represents the body that was to be broken. And I want you to prepare your hearts. They're going to begin to pass this out. But I want you to begin to prepare your hearts. And during this next time, we're just going to have a moment where we sit in that moment with Jesus. I want you to think about the weight of what he did on the cross. I want you to think as if you're a disciple that you haven't experienced it yet, but he keeps talking about it. And you wonder what's going to happen next. Prepare your hearts. Put yourself in the story as one of the disciples that's entering into this with Jesus. And as they continue to pass these out, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a moment, and we're just going to receive communion right there as if we were there at the Last Supper. Lord, we thank you that we do know how the story ends. But just for a moment, we want to experience what it's like to walk with you to walk with you, to, to enter into this moment of the death, burial, and the resurrection. And for there to be a resurrection, there must first be a death. And it's a costly one. So God, we come right now, and we enter into this moment. We prepare our hearts, because we know the gravity of what you've done for us is not something we just pass by trivially and just move on. Lord, captivate our hearts with the weight of what you've done for us, with your glory, which means weightiness. Give us that weightiness of what you've done, the cost, the price. We don't take it lightly. So take a moment. We're going to hit the lights. Just have a moment there, right there where you're at, with Jesus. So then Jesus later on goes to the cross. He gives his life in our place. He dies in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He sheds his blood for us, takes our place, gives us grace. How many are, are so thankful for that? But remember, if you're one of the disciples and you saw this event, you're not in that moment thanking God for his grace. You're actually running and hiding because the disciples ran and hid. 
during this whole process. And then the questions start like, man, we've had these three years of all this stuff going on and he claimed to be God, but now he's dead. And did we just waste our life? (laughs) Did we just live an insignificant time of the last three years? Have you guys ever wanted some of your life back? Anybody (laughs) like three years? My wife told part of this story. I'm going to tell the rest of the story. For those of you ladies, she told the story about uh, going to the spa. How many of you ladies remember that story of going to the spa? Okay. I'm going to tell my version of the story. Just kind of lighten, bring things up just a little bit. So uh, we were supposed to have a hydrotherapy bath. How many of you guys have ever done that before? Exactly. Yeah, no guys have ever done that before. So, uh, but we were, we each had these hydrotherapy baths at this spa. We're supposed to walk into this quiet room where everything's fancy and fruity water and all sorts of stuff. So I'm just walking in with my Superman shirt on and my swimming trunks and I don't know what she had, but I, we walk in and everyone's there like, like in this fancy, like, like they're out of a movie or something like that. Just all these fancy robes and everything. And we walk in together and just both at the same time, like, we're in the wrong place. <laughs> we're not, so we're like, oh, we, we've got to get a robe or something. And so we went back and uh, went to the locker room. And she went and got her. I'm looking all over the place for a robe. I can't find a robe. I don't know where they keep the guy's robes. And so I walk out. She's got a robe on. I'm like, there's no robe. And I, she's like telling me where to go find it. And I go back and I'm looking. There's no place like that in there. So I, I come back out. And she's like, I'll just get you a robe. I'm like, no, that's a woman's robe. She's like, these are big. And I'm like... They're big women. I don't know what to say about that. Just because it's big doesn't mean it's for guys. It doesn't mean it's unisex. And so, and so I, she, I was like, fine, we're supposed to have a robe. I said, like, that may be the girl's color. And I'll be walking around as a guy with the girl's robe on. And uh, so she gets me a robe and I walk around like with this robe. I don't know if it's the right robe or not. And so we go in and we sit. Finally, we get out to to this, uh, this hydrotherapy, whatever, and it's a bath, and she's got her own bath, and I, they have a door, you get 30 minutes to go in there, and there's all these complicated machinery uh, going on, and fancy stuff in the bath, and, and so, uh, so I find, like, they, they t- give me instructions, they say, 30 minutes, we're going to come knock on the door, and, uh, and, and you got this hydrotherapy bath, if it's too, not hot enough for you, then just drain a little bit of the water out, and add some more heat to it, and so I get in, and there's, it's not, it's never hot enough for me, and so I try to, to add, she said, be careful, because the water is scalding, I've, I mean, it, it really is scalding water, and so it had this little waterfall feature on the side, it was pretty cool, it had this thing, like, on your kitchen sink that you can pull out, you know, and stuff, and then all of these controls over here. And so I get in and, and it, I'm trying to drain some of the water out. And before I know it, all the water drained out. Like everything just drained out of the tub. And I'm like, crud, I don't know. So I'm just sitting there and, and trying to figure this out. I don't know how to run the controls. And finally, I turn on the water. And it's got all these knobs up here. And the, the, the water feature starts to come and starts to pour over. Only it's scalding hot water. I'm just like, it's scalding water now. So I'm reaching to try to turn it off. And somehow I grabbed the button that was the spray thing. And I turned that and activated that. Now it's burning my face off. So my face is melting off. And finally, I can't figure out how to shut off the thing. And then by the time all that was said and done, the knock on the door, you're done. I get out of there. I'm like, I want 30 minutes of my life back. What is happening? My face, my flesh is burning off. I'm in a woman's robe. It was, yeah, it was real relaxing. But you start to wonder, like, for me, I'm wondering, what am I doing here? Did I just waste my time? 
And the disciples, in a more serious way, had to wonder that too. They had to wonder, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? This did not work out like what we thought. And the the questions start. Now, there's a fear inside of all of us, I believe, that's underneath the surface that will get to the end of our life and somehow feel or discover that we lived it for insignificant things. Like we know that there are significant things and insignificant things, but there's something about this fear that we're going to get to the end of our lives and somehow wonder, did we live it for what was important? Did we actually do what, live it to the full? And that's exactly where the disciples were. That's exactly what they were wrestling with. So let's watch. So Peter's one of the main disciples that we know about. And just before Jesus was crucified, he denied him three times. So now that Jesus has been crucified, he's, all the action is kind of over. He's, he's kind of settling down and he's trying to figure out like what's next. He's wrestling with this very idea of, of what's next. And so he says, forget it, guys. I'm just going to go back to fishing. That's what I did before. That's what I know. And he's really wrestling with this idea of, did I just waste my time? You know, I, did I just really waste the last three years of my life? I mean, these guys left everything. These guys left all to follow Jesus. And they, they had spent the last three years of their life. And, and I wanted 30 minutes of my life back, but they're like three years. How do I get three years? Have I just wasted my life? Have I wasted my time? Am I living a life that's significant at all? Did I just waste it? There was a couple other guys who were disciples and they were walking down the road just trying to process all of this. And, and another guy came up and, and it turns out it was Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus just yet, um, but they began to talk to him. They said, man, all this stuff happened. Like we did, it, it just didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to. And they said this line, they said, but we had hoped, <laughs> we had hoped things would be different. And, and they were, again, they're wrestling with this. Did we just waste our time? Did we just waste our life? Are we living an insignificant life? Because again, we have this fear at the end of our life that we're going to get there and realize that we spent it on insignificant things. And so that's what they're wrestling with. And so I think it's a question that we all wrestle with. In fact, I was on sabbatical uh, this past summer for six weeks. I mean, totally off grid, just me and, and God and just family. And I was just wrestling with this very idea. Am I living a significant life? You know, there were people who were praying for me every day. And I began to wonder, would they even be praying for me? me if I wasn't Pastor Sean? Am I, who am I really? Would I have friends if it, and I was just wrestling with all of this just in a very personal way that I think a lot of times we don't really process, but we know it's there. We know it's underlying underneath it all. And so this is what these guys were wrestling with, that we would just waste our time. And I think it's a question we've got to wrestle with as well. Are we living a significant life or are we wasting our life? And so how do we know? How do you know what a significant life is and whether you're living one or not? And, and I think the way that you know that is it's determined by what you value most. So how do you know what you value most? Well, what you value most is really revealed by two things, I believe. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to look at it here in a second, but it's really by what you give your life for, what you're willing to lay down your life for. And if that's insignificant things, if that's trivial things, then your life doesn't really have a lot of significance to it. But if it's important things, then it really reveals what your life is all about. And then the second thing is, is not just what you're willing to give your life for, because that may be a small handful of things, and that's easy to talk about until it, it, the opportunity comes. But it's really about what you do daily. So it's about what we're willing to give our life for and what we do daily. And Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 9. 
And he, and he says this, it's a very famous passage of scripture, but it says this, it says, and he said to all, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So there's two things in there. What are you willing to give your life for? But then also taking up your cross daily. See, it, it's one thing to talk about how important friendships are in our life, but it's really only when we look at our life and our day-to-day life are we really making space for friends in our life. It's one thing to say that our family is most valuable but in our life or has a high value in our life, but it really only counts if we look at our day-to-day life and we see what kind of space we have, what kind of interaction we have. Someone once said that how we spend our days is really how we spend our life. And it's one thing to talk about how God is most valuable in our life, but Really, it doesn't matter how much we talk about it or how much we say he's valuable. It's really when we look at the, the, the span of our days and what happens in our day-to-day life. And so that's the question we have to wrestle with. Are we investing our life in the right things or are we wasting our life? Are we living a significant life? What are you willing to give your life for and what do you do daily? Those are the things that reveal what you value most. What you value most is revealed by what you're willing to give your life for. And what you do daily. There was a book written a few years ago called The Power of Habit. And he, this guy talked about what he called keystone habits. Now, keystone habits are basically a single habit that has the power to affect many other areas of your life. So in other words, doing one thing all of a sudden has a domino effect that kind of triggers a bunch of other things. They did studies on exercise. How many of you guys love to exercise? Just how many of you guys? All right. Very few people love to exercise. They did studies on exercise and people who would habitually exercise even just once a week, that it, that one single habit began to change other unaffected or unrelated areas of life. So people who had that, that habit, they began to change even unknowingly. They started to eat better because they had that one habit in their life. Unknowingly, they started to become more productive at work. Unknowingly, they began to even realize like people smoked less and maybe even had more patience with other people. They even used credit cards less as a result because they felt less stressed. So one habit, one thing that they did daily or even weekly began to affect every other thing in their life. Families who have a habit of eating together Their children did better in their homework skills. They had higher grades. They had greater emotional control and confidence. Even something as simple as making your bed. How many of you like to make your bed? Anybody? My wife actually does. She likes to make the bed. I don't know why she does that. It's like her thing. Um, It's a thing. But the people who make their bed, they had better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, a stronger skill of sticking with a budget. So guys... If you want your wives to stop spending money, then have them make the bed. Because they stick to the budget better. So it's just good. It's a whole strategy behind that. Weight loss. If you want to lose weight, the traditional model says you've got to totally disrupt your life. But they found out, they did a study in 2009 of 1,600 obese people. And they had uh, part of them, they were to just write down what they were eating. And they got through the six-month study, not to go into it all, but basically the people who wrote down what they were eating basically had double the weight loss of those who didn't. So one keystone habit, one thing. Why, Why am I saying that? Because again, what you value most is revealed not just by what you're willing to say you give your life for, but when you look at your life day to day, what's revealed by something daily. And, and what I'm saying is there are certain things that if you get in the right place, 
It's like tumblers for everything else, and it starts to fall into place. Can I tell you that Jesus is like that? That if you get Jesus in the right place, not just someday in the by and by, but, but when you look at your days and you, you find space for Jesus, guess what happens? Everything else starts to get in the right place. It doesn't mean everything's perfect. It just means things are in the right place. It just means things start to fall into place. And Jesus is one of those things. Now, again, here we are on Easter weekend. It's easy to, a lot of people will go and, and go to a service on Easter weekend. But Jesus didn't say, attend me. He said, follow me. And following Jesus is not just a one time at the end of my life thing. It is a day-to-day thing. And your day-to-day reveals what you value most. How many guys are thankful that just like those disciples, they said, but we had hoped. We wish things were different. For every but we had hoped, there's a third day coming, isn't there? But when you're fo- only when you're following Jesus. For every death, there can be a resurrection when we're following Jesus. How many of you guys are thankful that the story doesn't end at the cross, but it went through to an empty grave, right? Let's celebrate that one more time. Let's watch. Yes, Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead, and that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and Salome went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body, they saw the angel sitting there, and they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I submit to you tonight that that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. He is not here. He has conquered the grave. He's alive. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that there's more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than almost any other fact in Roman history. I don't believe there's a fact in ancient history today so well proven as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even if there was no proof, no historical proof, no scientific proof, and there is, I would still believe it because I believe this book is God's inspired word and the whole early church went up and down the country preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire. That a man had risen from the dead. That he was alive. That death could not hold him. Christ is alive. He's a living Savior. So I'm going to come in for a landing here with the last scripture, John chapter 15, verse 13. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And as we wrap up, I just want you to just kind of just to sit in this moment for just a little bit. But as we wrap up, I want to, I'm going to tell you there's something that bugged me, that bothered me for years. And I couldn't, I don't know why, maybe it was just me, but there was something that really bothered me. About, about Jesus and the cross and the death and all that type of stuff. And I began to uh, wonder, what's the big deal about someone dying a gruesome death? What's the big deal? Others have. What, what's the big deal about somebody being a martyr? Others have. 
What's the big deal about someone dying in the place of someone else? Others had. And it really bothered me because I just, this whole thing is wrapped around this idea. What's the big deal about that? Why does it matter? And I'm going to say something that may sound shocking, but in one sense, all of that doesn't matter. What's significant, what makes it matter, that, that someone died a gruesome death, because someone could make a case that others have died even more gruesome death than what Jesus did. What, what makes it significant that someone would be a martyr, that Jesus was a martyr, or that he took our place what makes it significant is that it was the very blood of God that was spilled. And there's only so much God blood out there. Out of all the blood that has ever been in any type of body, the blood of the creator has to be the most valuable substance ever. The blood of the creator, that the creator, his blood, there's only so much of that. The creator of all the universe, the creator of everything that's ever lived, when that blood was spilled, it was the most valuable, costly spilling of blood ever. It was God's blood. And redemption is like a ransom that's been paid, but Jesus didn't pay with Cash. He paid with his own blood, the blood of God. And if what you value most is revealed by what you're willing to die for and what you do daily, then guess what's revealed through Jesus Christ? That what he values most is what he was willing to die for. And what he does daily, the Bible says that his mercy is new every single morning. Can you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment as we get ready to close? He gave his life for you, for me. And so today we can experience relationship with God because of these things, because of what he's done, because God in the flesh spilled the only God blood ever. It's the most valuable thing in the universe. It's the most valuable thing ever. And if you're here today and you you think, my debt towards God is so big. My debt towards God is so huge. Can I just tell you that nothing is too much for what the blood of God, how valuable it is, can pay for because there's nothing that can compare to the riches and the, and, and the value of God's blood. And he shed that for you. He, he spilt that for me. And he did that so that we could have a relationship with him. He did that so that when that curtain was torn in two, that we could have access to a relationship with God, not based on our works, but based on what he did and what he does daily. But he extends his grace every single day. He extends his mercy every single day. He died once and for all so that we could walk in relationship with him. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Sean, I I need to walk with Jesus. I need to follow him. I've been attending Jesus, but I need to follow Jesus. 
I need to give my life to Jesus. Maybe at one point you were following Jesus, but you know that you got off the path somewhere and you said, I need to come back to the, to the house of God. I need to come back to following Jesus. Maybe you're not sure where you stand. If you were to stand before God right now, you don't know. You don't really know where you stand before God. You can't really think maybe of a time where you said, yes, I'll follow you, where you received the grace of God, where you let his grace wipe away your sins and started that brand new life. I want to know if we need to take a moment out of this service. Is that, if that's you, you say, Pastor Sean, would you please pray for me? I need to take that step. Then real quick, just lift up your hand right now all over the building and put it right back down just to acknowledge before God. All right, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Real quick. One more moment. We're going to take just a moment. All right. We're just going to pray together. And and the scripture says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead, that we'll enter into that new life. And there's nothing magical about these words or anything like that. It's just simply acknowledging out loud what's happened in our heart. That change that you feel right now that's coming. So I'm going to lead all of us in that prayer. Can we all just say this together, whether you said it once or a thousand times? Let's just say this like we mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for spilling your blood. Thank you for raising from the dead and giving eternal life. I confess that I need you and that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I receive grace right now to wash away my sin in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. It wasn't just a death. It wasn't just someone dying. It was the very blood of God. And we thank you for that precious blood of Jesus. There's power in that blood. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to be on this side of the resurrection, that we get to enter into your victory today, that we get to celebrate that you are risen today. We get to celebrate that you're alive and active in our hearts and lives today. We thank you so much for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and let's celebrate that one more time before we leave.